Hello and welcome to season two, episode one of The Dive. I would definitely suggest watching this one on YouTube. <laughs> although I am Maybe very like 4K happy quality. Of SoundCloud oil is a good option for this podcast one. listeners. Uh, we have some unfinished business from last year. So on our very final episode, uh, there was a bet between Azale and Kobe about whether or not Zoe would be a hundred percent pick band at All Star. Yeah, hundred percent presence. Hundred percent presence, which yeah. is basically yeah, pick band. Yeah. And uh, for the record, who lost the bet? Can you catch me up on that? Yeah, who lost that bet, Kobe? Uh, so I did lose fast, the bet. How fast did you lose that bet? How, game one? It, it, it like, was not game, game one. Three, it game was three. the first day. One one of the matchups, uh, both teams neither picked nor banned Zoe. Mm. They then realized this was a uh-huh. ginormous mistake, and it never happened again in the entire tournament. So <laughs> technically, I was correct in my thought process and <laughs> okay. my logic. Because you thought it was good. good. And no but one but who lost the bet again? But I lost the bet also, okay. due to these teams <laughs> not realizing how broken Zoe was. The bet was for a body pillow. But Ovali, the bet was for a costume. Ovali supplies the uh, props. This is all Ovali. Yes. Yeah. Can you show us the whole getup? It's great. You, yeah. It's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look beautiful, Kobe. Absolutely ravishing. Thank you. Thank I, I like the little neck scarf thing. By the way, much. this is completely disproportionate to the punishment that Jack got for losing his bet. Fully, I fully you, have, you have stepped up the betting game. We're all very proud of you. You've escalated the next bet. I don't know bet. if your parents are, but we, we're all, very proud of you. It's all awfully. I was like... Uh, a couple of week, uh, days ago, I tweeted at Azale and Avali, and I was like, okay, you know, what am I wearing for this bet? And Azale is like, I'm on vacation. I'm not looking at this stuff. I'm lazy. And Avali's like, oh, hold on. I'm going to go look at my garage for some costumes. <laughs> at that moment, I was uh, a little bit worried. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were just going to be wearing a body pillow, but this is much better. That was one of the reasons I was, like, fine with the bet. I was like, I don't really care. Like, the body pillow's yeah. not that bad. Jat wore it. It's just, like, the sheet that's, like, yeah. I wore, like, a shirt underneath it, too. Like, you got this neck thing. You could have worn a T-shirt. You you just, you upped the game. You got to go all the way if you're going to do something like this. I'm not half-assing It's true. Like, you and Sneaky are competing for best cosplay at this point. Uh, This is actually not even the biggest news that we have for our episode today, though. I don't know if I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) This this is pretty big news. This is unprecedented. Yeah, this is never this happened is before. Good. Next up, uh, let's move along here because oh, but there's some good replies. <laughs> there's some good, there's some good yeah. replies. Uh, you can keep memeing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he tweeted it like a. It's, we're recording this at it's now 11:27, so yeah. he tweeted like t- 10 or 20 minutes ago to create hype. Yeah, like 10 minutes ago, he, he tweeted this out, and I just really enjoyed <laughs> this one response here uh, from Dace. It says, two years after the bet, Kobe was bored. He wanted to relive his youth. Under the bed, he opens a suitcase to reveal the dress he wore during the infamous bet. He puts the dress on. He remembers the rush it gave him. Silky and soft, he lifts it up to reveal his thighs and smiles. This is going to be the bet that launched a, a thousand fanfics, Kobe. Do we need a new costume for the next bet, or do we just... I feel like Ovali oh, I I like is now like the queen in charge of all of our bets. Yeah. Wow. And the, the but you pulled it off so well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, anyways. Well, we the, yeah, so next week we'll be back on the dive. It's <laughs> a great episode. <laughs> There's really nothing left to do. Uh, right, you were talking about more news. Though. Yeah. So our next global news that we have global here news. is that Jat is officially retiring from casting for 2018. Mm, it's over. Yeah. He is yeah. going to be a permanent analyst now instead. Yeah. So there's a couple things that I want to talk about here. Like, uh, last year, when we did best of three double stream, we really needed four color casters who were pretty much always casting mm-hmm. at the time, right? Because you didn't want to consistently do multiple best of threes on the day, especially with how vocally intensive it is. And we had two streams, so pretty much all of us were doing it. Uh, we're casting every day on Saturday or Sunday, which meant that whenever you were on the analyst desk, you were there for like a game or two, and then you'd have to go get ready for your cast. And or it was maybe back a Friday. And, forth. and we had like Dash mm-hmm. and Mark Z on the desk all the time. Felt like just added on extra yeah, and afterthought. None of us were really like fully committed to driving analyst desk and like making it more interesting and finding really cool segments to do. Mm-hmm. So this year, now that we're back to one stream, like we have an opportunity, at least for the spring split, we're going to try a set analyst desk of Dash as the host, Mark Z as an analyst, and me as another analyst, and really committing to trying to like create storylines that we can come back to. So yeah. if we make a prediction or flame someone or say someone's going to be doing really well, 
throughout the day and throughout the weeks, we can continue to come back that and get a consistent storyline. And when you look at traditional sports, like that's pretty much how most of them do it. Yep. The inside the NBA desk is always Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Shaquille O'Neal uh, as the analyst. And it's week over week consistent. I think that adds a lot of value. So uh, it's not, this is like a high retirement from casting where he retired from pro play. Like I can totally come back later to cast, but at least for the New York. But I knew his thing. skills are going to degrade. Ooh. Or oh, just no. gonna, <laughs> hey man, he finished, he finished fourth yeah, <laughs> in the spring true, split. True. He's back. He's He's ready yeah. to go. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. Honestly, when you first you know brought this up to me as a possibility, though, um, I did really like the idea of specialization mm -hmm. now that we're going to have more time. Because not only, like you're saying, you can return to storylines and stuff, mm -hmm. but you actually, in your off time, have more time to actually craft segments. Like, yeah. yes. we have so many tools now. Like, we have all these cool AR, you know, tools that we can use to, to really help assist in telling stories. Mm -hmm. So So you guys are going to be able to, you know, set up things like, much deeper analysis on jungle pathing or, yep. you know, mid lane matchups and and actually go into specific, um, more interesting stories, I think, than, yeah. than recaps like yeah. we've seen before. Yeah, because, here. I mean, that, that stuff does take a lot of time to actually plan out yes. and to figure out and to execute well. And it also doesn't mean that Kobe or I can't join the desk at some point. Exactly. It doesn't mean that there can't be a four-man desk or Zyrene or whoever swaps mm -hmm. in, right? You can still do that. You just have a more consistent core. And I think it makes sense, right? You guys are all good at your jobs. And if you're only doing that, you should get better and hopefully uh, ends up being a better experience for everyone. Yeah, also, uh, just if people are watching the dive but haven't been keeping up with the announcements, with the best of one NALCS and also with Europe moving to Saturday mornings for a lot of their games if you're an NA fan, uh, NALCS is starting at 2 p.m. Mm -hmm. That's when Champ Select is going to start. And 1.30 will be this pre-show where more details will be announced about the pre-show and specifically like what it's going to do and how it's going to work uh, in a couple of days. But tune in at 1.30 because the pre-show is going to be hype and it's going to be the analyst desk as well as some other stuff. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I, <clears throat> this might be kind of controversial, but I think we should uh, kind of discuss the the start times and, and the layouts a, a little bit sure. more because we haven't really talked about um you know the shifts and i know a lot of people um east coast and european viewers specifically have been pretty upset that north american lcs has been moved back because we definitely have a global audience mm -hmm. uh, and we actually have a large amount of european viewers for the north american mm -hmm. lcs and i actually tend to agree with them and i do think it kind of sucks <laughs> uh, for us that that we are actually moving um you know our start time back and they're going to be missing out uh, we'll still probably mm -hmm. um you know schedule games so we'll like try and have the more anticipated games earlier on right um but the thought process behind the change was since european lcs you know want some better times as well and they're yeah. moving their times back yeah we wanted to try and help them out as much as possible you know, to move the North American LCS back. Right. Personally, I think the sacrifice, you know, for our side kind of sucks. And <laughs> but it's it's I, I actually thumbs down it. Um, <laughs> but um, I I you know I feel for you know Deficio and those guys. And, and, yeah. You know. We well. To... So here's the thing. Like back in this is from my own like selfish perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about me. I loved watching the European yeah, LCS. Typical selfish chat. Selfish chat. On Thursday <laughs> and Friday, I'd come into the office in the morning. I'd watch all the European LCS on Thursday and Friday. Saturday, going live at noon was awesome for North America. But I also understand that a lot of European fans want to have the European LCS on the weekend. Yeah. And if they're start, and they're even starting an hour earlier on Saturday than they are on Friday, just so they don't overlap with us too hard. Mm -hmm. um, and when they're starting at 8 a.m. Pacific time, they do five games. They'll probably be done around 1. They're going to do their post-game lobby that'll hopefully be done by 1.30. <laughs> and then our pre-game show will hopefully start at 1.30. So hopefully, if you want to have that cohesive experience, you can. Yeah. And I do think that at least for EU and NILCS, and this is a personal opinion, that competing with each other is not what you want to do. I think the amount of crossover viewers is quite substantial. And I think if you're missing out uh, as like a hardcore fan and forced to choose between the conclusion of like this cool European LCS week and the start of this cool NALCS week, I don't want to have to choose between those things. So like in that world, it's better. But 
I would still want it to be Thursday, Friday, well, Saturday, Sunday. I want it four days a week instead of three. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, for for EU fans, like, and for NA fans who are fans of EU, it's better, right? Like, for, strictly from if you only watch NALCS, if you only want to watch NALCS, I think it is, you know, worse for the global audience well, because it's it's later in the day. It's harder to catch all the games. If but, you're someone in a weird time zone, it's yeah, probably but, worse. I would argue that if you're an NA only fan who watches NALCS on a weekend, like two to seven versus twelve to five, two to seven might yeah. actually be better. For East Coast, though, right? It starts getting a bit late, and that's where I think. <laughs> It's, it's a little bit harder yeah. if you want to go out on the evenings on, on weekends and things like that. Yeah. But um, I think overall it's it's going to be nice because it does give you opportunity to actually you know watch some of the EU LCS, which is is harder, especially if you are in in West Coast time zones because it was on so early in the morning. So I mean, there's obviously mm-hmm. pros and cons. I, th- I think selfishly from our point of view, it's obviously nicer to be in in the like earlier time slot that kind of thing. But uh, when you get for, to sleep for in, the man. EU LCS, it's, <laughs> it's I think better overall, and, and hopefully the the compromise is, is worth it for. The the global yep. league scene. It's funny because uh, I have the perfect analogy here since I was watching anime last night and I am now what, in What this, anime were you? You are anime this today. This anime Kobe today. What anime? Um, Tokyo Ghoul. I, I haven't finished it. Uh, I forget what episode I'm on, like 10 or something. Is it on like so Netflix? Spoilers for that, I guess, if okay. you haven't, if you're planning on watching or something. Okay. But uh, it's actually a really interesting one and they, um, they have this moment in the episode I just watched last night where mm-hmm. uh, the main character... Um, talks about um, you know trying to please everyone um, and and not make any sort of sacrifices, not hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. But he's forced with this decision where uh, the bad guy is like has two people, uh, you know, a, a husband Kobe's and wife. Some yeah, yeah. Life lessons. You're going here. deep. In, I, now. Well, I just going, thought it going. was so crazy. Anime can be deep. I literally just watched it last night and I was like, oh my god, this is perfect. <laughs> um, he has two people, is a husband and wife, and the bad guy is like, all right, you have to choose which one of them is going to die. And he's like, I can't do that. I, that would be like me killing someone. Um, and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to kill both of them then. And, and the main character is, is like, I can't hurt anyone. I'm like, I'm not going to choose. So he ends up killing both of them. And, and you're so like, any and any and you are both gonna die, Kobe. That's that. That's they like competed with each other as if they would. Is that is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying. I'm not drawing any sort of conclusions there. I'm just posing <laughs> the dichotomy because I thought it was very interesting and very uh, you know coincidental that that mm-hmm. just happened last night. But sometimes, um, you know, there are choices where you have to make those sacrifices that you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, and there is no win-win. Yeah, um, but it's very interesting. It'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. And obviously, uh, our leadership has always been super open with making changes. You know, based on what happens and mm-hmm. trying to correct for blunders that we have made. We have all made lots of mistakes. Yeah. Um. So well, I- I'm interested to see how it turns out because uh, hopefully it can be a win-win. We can save them both. You know, defeat <laughs> the bad guy, and uh, everybody will be happy. Three. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just one of many changes, right? We've gone from. Double round robin, best of three, double stream, back to single round robin. No one plays on every day, Saturday, no, Sunday, franchising know. new teams. From a, so many changes. Yeah, from a scientific perspective, that makes it really hard to de- you know determine what's the you know biggest contributing factor yeah. because mm-hmm. we have so many confounding ones. But that's another. Yeah, and for those of you that are listening, we're going to be doing another episode before the start of the season where we're going to be going pretty much in depth and do like our full NALCS power rankings. Mm-hmm. We're more touching on like global news and some game patch topics. Oh, today. really? Uh, to me, I thought this was purely meme episodes. We're starting <laughs> at 2018. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I meant, actually. We're actually just trolling right now. Yeah. Uh, Keith Olbermann is someone we should talk about because oh, speaking the, of the trolling, of Reddit. Okay. Yeah. I need to get the actual quote. So uh, if you haven't seen it, you guys should check out the Doublelift Players Tribune article because Players Tribune is this website dedicated for athletes kind of in their own words to be able to have whatever statement they want. Mm-hmm. And Faker was featured on it as one of the first big esports athletes and another big league athlete who's now been featured on it is Doublelift. And the article talks about how he is so competitive as a pro player, how his falling out from TSM happened, how he kind of learned about it from online, how he still has a lot of really close friends, but how he's so driven to destroy them now on Team Liquid. And just, I don't want to spoil the article too much. Read it. It's really good. Uh, but we're going to You hit all the main yeah, points. Actually, don't I mean, read it. I don't, every point. I don't think there's anything wrong with really spoiling it because I don't think that, yeah. that really takes away from reading the article itself. You know, mm-hmm. you can get a lot of the, the gist from some of these quotes, but it's really kind of interesting to see just how strongly he feels about it and Double of talks about, you know, his trash talk and, and how confident he is in himself. And I thought it was really interesting because, in my opinion, from the competitor's 
perspective, you have to believe that you are the best to ever become it. Like, I just think that you need that confidence. You need that, that kind of cockiness or whatever you want to say to ever actually become it. Because when you're in these high pressure situations, it's so hard to not get intimidated by a player like Faker, by a play, like some of these players like Uzi who have so much history behind them. You need to just have absolute confidence in yourself, mm -hmm. right? That you are better, that you will win, that your team is better. And that's something that I do think that the double lift uh, has, and, and or at least seems like he does have. Yeah. Uh, and he also talks a lot about, you know, how he wants to outwork everyone, right? And that's mm -hmm. another thing that I really do think it takes to be at the absolute top because to think that, you know, you can practice 10 hours a day and I'm like, oh, I'll just practice six and I'll still beat you. That's just arrogant, right? Like you, yeah. you have to practice as much or more than the person who's playing the most, I think, to be able to take them down. And uh, it's going to be really interesting for me to see how well he does because he's extremely driven to prove that TSM was wrong in replacing him, to destroy TSM, to destroy the NALCS, and and to really prove that uh, he's still the best. Yeah. it's. I thought it was a really interesting read um, just because like, I've known Double It for so long. I know there's a lot of yeah. people that were like kind of criticizing the writing or like you know whoever edited it and, and language mm -hmm, used because mm -hmm. some of it is left in they leave in like a lot of likes and and stuff like that um but if you're just really looking at the story that double Lift is telling mm -hmm. uh, and the information given there i think it gives a lot of information and insight uh in into what type of person he is and the way that he thinks and um, you know, I've, it sounds like him. Yeah, it does sound like him. Um, he has changed a lot over the years. Uh, when we first yeah. started like six years ago, he most definitely was just the arrogant that you're talking about. So he was always driven and he was very driven back then. But the work ethic part was not there. Mm -hmm. um, and he his talent, his talent was definitely there, though. So he rid that and he would mm -hmm. he actually was very arrogant, but he has matured a lot over the years. And I think the combination um, you know, everything that happened on CLG and him moving to TSM was such a big, you know, moment of growth in his life mm -hmm. um, that you can really see kind of um, that drive and that work ethic that kind of anyone who comes into contact with Reginald, Andy, um, you know, really ends up um, kind of kind of taking it and, um, you know, idealizing um, ha has really been put into effect here. And I am also super excited to see what Doublelift can do on this team where now there's not a permanent Bjergsen leader, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So this is this is Team Liquid is a team of all-stars put together, mm -hmm. but it, is Doublelift going to try try and make himself like the the figurehead, the the big leader, the yeah. um, you know, support system for the team. And I'm I'm gonna go back a little mm -hmm. bit to where you started. Yeah, I talked for like, too long there. That's no, my bad. It, it was <laughs> it was good because inspiring. double lift not as inspiring yeah, yeah, yeah. as the anime monologue, it but it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Double lift had that uh Chase Your Legend video last year mm. where it was like the three-minute thing where he talked about how he had like the perfect life streaming, making a bunch of money with his girlfriend and and now he went away from that. But his story is is so much deeper than that, right? Like he is one of the first League of Legends personalities we have. He was in the season one world championship as a blitzcrank poppy player. Like, and I'm with Kobe. Like I was playing with this guy and friends with this guy for like seven years and he was a completely <laughs> different person then than he is now. And he has really grown up and matured in front of the microscope of esports, which is really cool. So uh, then to kind of answer your other question, I know we're not going full into the team previews yet, but he's had that authority figure on so many different teams that he's been on, whether or not it was Afro Moo or Hotshot, actually, or Chouster, right? Like, he's moved through so many of these people. Hotshot as an authority figure to me. All right, Chouster. Just, uh, Chouster, the authority figure. But then Hotshot, the owner, right? Like, yeah. maybe it's Steve if he's still super involved with league organization, but he's still trying to grow the larger league brand. Like, as far as personalities go, like, Exmithy, Pobelter, Ole, Impact, none of those guys seem like alpha that will yeah. dominate the show. So I really want to see how he, he works in this environment on top of all the motivation he has and whether he can turn that into the positive growth instead of a lot of the negative stuff that has happened earlier on in his mm -hmm. career. And I, I think that Doublelift just almost automatically is perceived as the leader of the team, as the head of the team, mm -hmm. because his brand is so massive, because he has so much star power. And even just from some of the interactions I've seen between you know Steve and, and Doublelift on Twitter and things, it, it kind of gives you the impression that he's kind of like, he has assembled this roster, Steve has, mm -hmm. and now he's kind of handing over the keys, it almost feels like. You know, he's he's tweeting double if, you know, I want to do everything I possibly can to, to make sure you win that championship and this sort of thing. And he's, he's obviously going to be very heavily involved. Um, but double if does feel like the guy who who is that kind of more alpha personality where he wants to be 
things his way and and like has the confidence to to make shot calls and to believe that he is correct and that and that sort of thing. And I do think you need that. Yeah, it's interesting because when he joined Team Liquid last year, um, you know, for just that small stint, mm-hmm. and and they beat TSM and all that, and there was this crazy um, <clears throat> kind of revenge thing uh, going there as well. It was all of them coming out saying Double F saved our team. You know, Double F you know was able to turn Team Liquid around and like save us from relegations, all that stuff. But this is such a different scenario because yeah. Smithy is a huge shot caller. He's, shock shock he's too, extremely yeah. communicative. Impact, we've always heard such good things about Impact when he's on mm-hmm. C9 being super, uh, you know, strong leader for them. Um, so him slotting into that situation and this situation um, are are so completely different that it's 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 going to take yeah. a lot of extra work. And I feel like at the end, but of, we're getting too deep. At, yeah. at the end of the day, the last thing I'll say yeah. is that in the ideal world, I think you have different people that are doing shot calling for different situations, mm-hmm. right? Like, you can be calling your lane. The early game is generally done by the jungler. You need someone at different stages to do different things based on what your responsibilities are in the game. But definitely going to be interesting. Next week's episode is going to be really long. <laughs> That's what we talked about for, like, We already leaked into it. This well, what I was going to start with, actually, Keith and this isn't the main point of it, but uh, Keith Olbermann, for those of you who don't know, uh, is and has been a decently large personality in the sports scene. He's not as relevant in the past few years, but he worked for ESPN. He also worked for NBC doing some political stuff and is this like incredibly talented pundit, so to speak, who makes really impassioned, articulate arguments about a lot of stuff. But he got super slammed because he decided to go after the Players' Tribune for talking about doublelift. And it's another one of those clashes of like old culture versus the new culture. Um, He tweeted three years in, referring to the Players' Tribune, which is three years old. That's awfully early to have jumped the shark by publishing pieces by snotty rando kids playing children's games. Uh, there's going to be people that take shots at esports. What I found interesting about this is how many people just hit back at him. He got uh, blasted Some of the funnier media. stuff that came out. Trindamir tweeted. Um, the one was like the Simpsons gif of old man yells at cloud. Yeah. Like, I think for the most part, like this stuff doesn't necessarily matter right if he wants to do it but i do i do like how much the community hit back uh and kind of defended the article because i think it's totally right and fits in with the players should be in the and, and i mean it's it's embarrassingly inaccurate as far as like yeah, this, that, this there's all, already been multiple articles on the players tribune it wasn't just faker it was also kuroki from yeah. team liquid there's so just off the top of my head i've read both their articles on players tribune there may mm-hmm. be others before doublelift as well so not the first time it happened uh, Doublelift has a massive brand, you know, has been around for a long time. Like, the following is there for this sort of there stuff. There are plenty of just... articles on Player Tribune of professional athletes with smaller followings than Doublelift. Yeah. And specifically to me, the, the part that when I read it, I just was like, all right, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it, and he obviously, you know, has no extra information around surrounding this scenario. Mm-hmm. It was this to me just looked like a gut reaction of video games. I hate video games and kids is the, <laughs> the terminology that he said, snotty rando kids. Yeah. Uh, because specifically, it's just funny to me that this is double lift. And we were just talking about how, you know, we've known him for a long time. He's matured so much. And his story is actually really well documented how the struggles he went through with his family, you know, and getting kicked out and, you know, turning everything around and everything that he has gone through. Um, to call him a snotty nose random kid yeah. after how well we know him is just uh-huh. it's just laughable to us because we we know so much you know more. But to me, yeah, it's de- it definitely looks like one of those old man reactions. It's, it's very clear that he put zero effort into yeah. learning about the space or the person at all mm-hmm. before making the tweet. Or if he did put in effort, then the other option, which I think is, is maybe semi-likely, is it's just, you know, you said, Jet, not as relevant in the last couple of years, uh-huh. maybe trying to get a reaction, right? Mm-hmm. You talk about, like, oh, any any press is good press type of thing. He got a big response to, to this. <laughs> like, yes, it was resoundingly negative. He's getting blasted. But uh, a lot of people who probably are big fans of esports and didn't know who Keith Olbermann are, uh, probably know who he is now, right? And yeah. and that's sometimes sometimes the kind of shock value, that sort of uh, inflammatory style works out well for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Switching gears a little bit, though. New patch, new season, patch 8.1 was announced last night, patch this morning. That's going to be the competitive patch for mm-hmm. pretty much all regions around the world. But maybe in kind of the larger scope, it's been a while since we saw All-Stars Demacia Cup has happened in China, which is this tournament they run that is somewhat serious. <laughs> but we mainly wanted to talk about like what types of champions do we think are going to be meta uh, on 8.1 and why, and mm-hmm. how the competitive landscape is kind of going to pan out. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think one thing a lot of people don't really seem to be playing as much in solo queue that I think is, is really going to be big is just tanks in general. I mm-hmm. think that tanks in competitive play are just so strong, and it's not that uh, I get the impression that you can only play tanks, but I don't see a lot of uh, tank junglers or as many tank junglers in solo queue as I think there will be in competitive. I think that, you know, champions like Orn and Maokai and Shogath are still going to be around. They were still popular in Demacia Cup. You know, Sejuani, Tank Jarvan, these sorts of things, mm-hmm. I think definitely can still be really strong and uh, aren't showing up as much. But I do feel like there's a good amount of, of diversity possible because even just from looking at Demacia Cup and some of the, you know, the priorities there, there's still, while there was almost always like Orn and Maokai type bands in, in these sort of tanks, there was also lots of Jace and Camille and there was Jax and there was, you know, like a variety of, of types of styles, uh, which does make me pretty excited because even looking at the bot lane as well, we went from a long period last year where it was essentially like the support of 80 carries that are like long range and poke and blah, blah, blah. But now I think you can do, you know, things like MF and Ezreal. I still, I think all the crit 80 carries are very strong right now with fleet footed and everything. Mm-hmm. So it feels, feels like it's a lot of I think we yeah. should take a Let, little pit stop yeah. here on the bottom lane. Let's, let's zero in a because little bit and focus. Right. As we're talking about how, what the meta is going to look like. I am really pissed that it's going <laughs> to look like overheal fleet footwork. At least for the beginning, because I I don't yeah. think that's gonna get you know nerfed before the season starts, and that is just again one of the things where players have found a strategy to either be too tanky or heal too much to negate a lot of skill, I guess, for for <laughs> in the game, right? So if there's always been these periods where some part of the balance in some way you get this configuration where your defense is so good that it doesn't matter how, how much harassment people throw at you early right. on mm-hmm. in the game or it doesn't matter how many risks the enemy take. Um, be, it just makes those risks not worth it because your defense is so good. And for me right now, that is the Relic Shield start yep. uh, with Overheal, with Fleet Footwork for so many AD carries, and that's a big contributor to why Vayne specifically um, is so busted right now, and we're seeing it so much in, in solo queue. And I do think that if all things remain the same, even though we rarely do see Vayne in competitive, this would be one of the you yeah. know, metas where we do start to see stuff like yeah. that. I do want to talk specifically about how mm-hmm. that works and why we think it developed, though, because mm-hmm. the, the rune setup we're talking about will most likely be everywhere. Fleet footwork was changed uh, right before the break to give more healing, basically, and mm-hmm. scale better off of your AD. And be able to crit. And it increases the healing when you crit by a certain percentage. But yep. you do that, you combo it with overheal, which is an extra shield on the AD carry. You can take the lifesteal one if you want to, or the alacrity one, which is the attack speed. But then you also combo that, if you want, with taste of blood in the domination tree and and ravenous hunter, which also heals you for your ability usage. So there's, there's all these sources of healing. You then add the Relic Shield source of healing. I've seen people go Relic Shield call Ninja Tabby on Callista and be fine because they're sustaining so hard in the early game. And I do think this is a response to, at the very start, everyone was like, everyone just gets one shot. There's no way I can be defensive enough. Like some people could splash Resolve and go Iron Skin and Font of Life, but like that wasn't enough. Mm. But this is... The tweak. Eventually, people found out how to not get one shot, and we still have this really aggressive scaling on crit items. So when you do hit Infinity Edge Shiv, specifically on Vayne, who's the hardest two-item power spike AD carry on those two items, you smash. Yeah. And it's very difficult to punish it with that rune setup. So if yeah. you're in solo queue, you want to get some wins, fleet footwork, overheal Vayne with domination secondary, do it. Like, it's super fun, but that's all we're going to see in competitive is that rune setup. Yeah, I mean, I, I do still think, though, that champions like Ezreal and, and MF can be very successful and don't have to go that. Uh, what would you go on MF? Like, so Ezreal will go Kleptomancy because he can outrange and still poke. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think Wouldn't MF still go Fleet Footwork? You can. I think that it's certainly Comet, an option, but Comet works, Comet is especially if you want to run, like, Leona or something yep. and mm-hmm. go for kill lanes. But again, the thing I was talking about is how it reduces the rewards of people taking those risks mm-hmm. and increases... Uh, you know, the percentage that you're going to fail with them, right? So yeah. it's always this trade-off that then tilts more. I will say it's like, there is still like, okay, so obviously it's extremely strong. It's it's mm. too good right now. I'm not saying it's not. Mm-hmm. But there is still some trade-off as far as if, you, if you're not taking press attack or lethal tempo or these sorts of other things, you are losing out on DPS. It's survivability only. Right. So like, sometimes I actually think that people are, are taking it when it doesn't even make sense. Like if you're playing a super, super easy lane, 
you don't need all this extra healing. You don't need all this extra sustain. Extra DPS to perhaps kill a tank in the top lane, you know, is is maybe more valuable later. But overall, it's really good. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't really talk about that to me makes it so powerful. I've played a, a number of games with it. It's great. The sustain is incredible in the early game. In the mid game, when you actually have your targons and your You're support, your quest complete, five hundred health. Yeah, you get a good amount of health from that. Then you get the overheal shield. Then you get the the targon shield as well. So mm -hmm. you're up with five, six hundred health, something like that total when you have overshield shield yeah. and the targon shield, and it just makes it so much harder to burst down an AD carry um, because they're starting from this much higher point. I mean, AD carries in mid game can be sitting twelve hundred to fifteen hundred HP, yeah. and now you're at seventeen hundred to two thousand essentially. And assassins then are are much less effective. You know, burst champions are much less effective at actually just being able to combo this person down. This is a good transition into point number two that I wanted to talk about with the meta and the shift in support items. So part of the reason I want to bring this up is because um, I've seen a lot of junglers and I myself have also started to use them, but the support items, um, you know, with a lot of the gold generation move to them, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. bandit and, and all that, um, it actually does make sense um, and is gold positive to, to incorporate these items on non-supports. Just right. theoretically, do you guys feel like um, whenever we have breaches like jungle items are played by mid laners or support items are played by junglers and stuff like that, uh, just kind of as an overall, mm -hmm. you know, high, big scope thing, how, how do you feel about those types of things? I personally like it. I, I think it's fun to be able to, like, maybe maybe it doesn't make sense if it's the only if option. If it's mandatory, If yeah. it's mandatory, yeah. It's, yeah, I think anything that is mandatory is uninteresting. I think when it is optional and when you can use it, you know, well in that scenario, then it's advantageous, then that's cool. I mean, I actually really liked when you went Cinder Hulk uh, top with with smite and stuff. I thought that was really fun mm -hmm. because if I could play aggressive and push in, I could steal gromps. I could do things like this. I liked the way that it changed my play style. And and another example of how I like it, and maybe other people don't, is I was actually trying some coin Nasus top, mm -hmm. and that actually works really well. And <laughs> yeah. I would say it's probably really bad against super aggressive early matchups because you have like no defensive stats. But the bandit passive plus klepto, every time you queue them, you're getting like 15 gold plus the klepto. You could steal something, and you you end up getting coins from minions you can't get like. That felt fun for me, but it felt situational. Yeah, I got autofilled into top lane for the first time in like months mm -hmm. yesterday, mm -hmm. and I immediately asked to be able to change the jungle or even support. <laughs> Get and, me out! And of everyone here. was like, "No, I don't really, not really You'll feeling top lane right yeah. now." And I was like, "Oh my god, what do I play?" And I was like, "Just play Nasus." And so I looked up the highest win rate. Did stuff, you do coin? And the coin has like a sixty percent win rate as a starting yeah, item super for high. top lane Nasus. So I was like, all right, whatever. So I picked that and um, Did you go I was playing too? versus, yeah, I, I used all the win rates though. Yeah. So I just went yeah. that. And I was playing against the Rumble um, and the sustain was actually enough. Uh, so I used my first, I had to, had to use my first teleport at like level mm -hmm. four. So I'm going to get back after like burning a bunch, but I could easily stack. Uh, I made an insane amount of gold. I went legendary at like 10 minutes. And this, I haven't played top lane in like two months. Yeah. Plus this is an auto filled, you know, diamond one, I don't know if the other guy was out of field, but Probably. he 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 was not smashing me, and I killed him. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, "All right, I either this is busted, or like we're both out of field up yeah. here together." Yeah. And that's that's where uh, I can get back to your beginning question: is like I feel really good about it right now. So at first, mm -hmm. I'm like, "Yeah, I love being able to go like." Frostfang on Vladimir and get an early Frost Queen's claim, and then when I get my support quest, it's like a mini ghost every time I kill yeah. someone, and I can zip under them and one shot them. It's like, mm -hmm. but when I realize how good it is, I think it actually does become the optimal and mandatory way to play a lot of champions. Like mm. maybe GP should be doing it. NASA's definitely should be doing the coin start. I think Vladimir should definitely be doing Frostfang. Morg, Zyra, those champions should be doing it in soul lanes as well. So at that point, I think it becomes a little bit weird because you're back in the, the gold generation mm -hmm. econ game that we constantly keep going back to it. Like all the way back to 2011 when we had Heart of Gold and Philosopher's Stone. Like I know how this story ends and it's with everyone going defensive gold generation because they will outscale, especially when these items at tier two are so close to gold efficient just based on the stats and they're then yeah. giving gold afterwards. That's when uh, it comes to a point where it kind of has to change. And I do think we'll see a few of these things in the LCS, even though they have some mini early game dips, the upside is just too high. Yeah, and I mean, just... For league in general, if you can find a way to outscale every time and still survive the early game, mm -hmm. then of course that's just the optimal build, right? That's the optimal way to play the game. Yep. But um, 
I do think it's just if it can be punished. I mean, when I, like looking back at the Nessus thing, has no HP on the starting item, has no health regen on the starting item, right? This is already a weak early game champion. If you can exploit this, then it becomes not worth it very quickly. Um, but that's why I think it may, maybe it's too strong. But like, I like the idea that in X matchup you can get away with it, and that makes it smart. If I'm playing into a Maokai and mm -hmm. I can do this, then that's pretty cool. But mm -hmm. if I'm if I can play into a Riven with Ignite and do this, then then that <laughs> then that makes no I'm sense. I'm pretty sure I always got slammed. If you I did do that, didn't you? I played into an Aatrox. Okay. Yeah. Aatrox is actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, not sure if we'll see him in pro. Kobe junglers. Uh, one one thing that's always really fascinating I'm to ready. me when the season starts, uh -huh. like the pro season starts is the solo queue meta will shift in reaction to what is being played in pro, especially in really high elo bands. Mm -hmm. And there has been so much like Warwick and even a little bit of like Udyr and a bunch of Shivana. As the resident high elo jungler, what high elo solo queue junglers will make the transition into pro play successfully? Uh, so Udyr has been strong before. Warwick has been strong before. These guys that um, rely on their feet and don't have uh, don't have jumps. <laughs> Not have jumps. Yeah. Uh, Warwick's Alta's jump. Is yeah, he was a jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have they have a difficult time breaking into pro play because pro play you need to be so mobile as a jungler, mm -hmm. and the jungle role in pro play is actually so different. So, but I do think that there is one that is going to break in. Uh, for me, I'm like 100 percent sure that Evelyn, Evelyn. is going to show up. Yeah. Um, because not only does she um you know, have this big threatening impact from the jungle and the ability to actually have AP threats where it opens up a lot of different team comps. But um, she also incorporates the Frostfang that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, her, her along with Nidalee, I think, yep. are the two um, really strong AP threats, which feels weird because usually Elise is there. Just for clarity, is even better in the jungle than in lane because in lane you don't get to get the 15 gold from it because it gets put on cooldown for every minion CS not does not stock on stack on monster CS so it's actually just really good on AP junglers. Yeah, I mean people are taking it pretty much every single game for um, Nidalee and Evelyn specifically, mm -hmm. and then both of those you're you're trying to snowball. So um, I actually do think that Evelyn will make it in. Uh, I could see Warwick for competitive yeah. play. Warwick and Xin Zhao yeah. are the two that are like. Uh, these are those guys that are just, you know, kind of walking around and they have had problems because they aren't the most mobile. Um, but if those ever get to a point where they're just like, oh, the stats on these are nuts. And even if mm -hmm. Leeson is dancing around, uh, it's like that Indiana Jones meme where he just pulls out the gun and shoots him. Yeah. And, and the, the guy with all the cool ninja skills is dead. Um, but it could get to that point where, you know, one of those guys break in. And I do think that especially in North America, all the junglers really love Jin Zhao, even after the nerfs. Uh, so, you know, maybe he has a possibility as well, but I feel pretty strongly about Evelyn. Yeah. What do you guys think about these Graves buffs? Because yeah. I know a lot of the pro players, they always are just looking at damage. So if they look down the buff list and they don't see literally damage or cooldown uh, buffs, then they're like, eh, whatever. Those are like, meh, buffs. Um, but these actually, as far as, you know, non-pure DPS buffs seem pretty decent to me. Yeah. Um, and I always think it's, you know, interesting when we do have graves in the jungle, you know, he's mm -hmm. been in and out for a while. I mean, I, I actually think that the the smoke screen change is pretty huge. So it went from at rank one, I think a 15% slow off the top of my head to a 50. Uh, yeah. And it lasts less time. Yeah. But it's just so jarring even having these short, impactful slows. Like what a lot of what I look at when I'm thinking of can I play a ranged jungler uh, is can you kite out the tank junglers or are they just going to like outstat you? And at a 50% slow on, you know, a Warwick or a Zin Zhao or something like that who's trying to run towards you plus how disoriented you can get in the mm -hmm. smoke cloud, I actually think it is pretty impactful. Um, and things like that can make a big difference as far as like team fight impact and and chasing someone down. You know, it's like almost a mini CC at that point. Yeah, and I think Graves will see some sparing play, but there's also a lot of noise uh, in what you're going to want to play. Like Rek'Sai Sejuani will be pro picks just because they are. I think are. Jarvan for sure. Oh, I didn't say Shivana either. Shivana, I think. Shivana's the weird one, right? Because she has been high win rate before. <clears throat> but uh, And then here's the other tweak is the catch-up experience changing the jungle mm -hmm. and actually allowing you to be further ahead than the enemy jungler without them catching up as much. Because last year, uh, you could get catch-up experience off every little thing in the jungle. So a raptor camp mm -hmm. would grant catch-up experience seven times. Now you just get the catch-up experience off the large monster, which vastly decreases the amount you can catch up. And there are many games where you can get two levels, three levels, four levels ahead of the enemy jungler. And 
if pro junglers do that with Shivana, like suddenly it becomes a lot more viable. So my thing with Shivana in particular is that I feel like it's not even just that she her early ganks are kind of crap and whatnot, which they are. It's that the style of play where you have to cover lanes, you have to be in position to counter gank, you have to be warding, you have to be like doing this sort of thing yeah. in pro play usually is not conducive to a successful Shivana game. Mm -hmm. Like when I think of successful Shivana games that I'm playing, it's I'm just power farming. I'm power yeah. farming my jungle, I'm power farming their jungle, I'm just everywhere farming, 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 farming. And we haven't get, lost by the time I'm three levels ahead and then we team fight. And then I kill everyone, right? Um, but I feel like I'm not sure if she's strong enough to warrant that play style to like uh, you know because your team has to fully adapt that play style your lanes mm -hmm. would have to play safe your everyone has to play back and if if they can survive and you can power farm then maybe you win off that but is it i think it's do, no, it doesn't work for pro play very well uh, i i think that it definitely has a possibility yeah um because not only does it you know it does force your team to you know, keep that in mind and try and play around this this different style, but it also forces that out of the enemy team. So mm -hmm. while you're limiting your own options, you're also limiting theirs because um, in a stand up toe to toe fight, like um, as long as you get through the early game, like they actually cannot you know fight around this point of power. And Shivana becomes this moving like zone of control for your yeah. team, wherever she's like moving to go. So if the teams are you know coordinated and trying to abuse that. Uh, then I think it becomes a much more interesting theoretical tug of war because mm -hmm. it does become yeah. about the chess moves of we have these laners, you know, we're taking over this X area. So, um, you know, I hope that she does get incorporated because to me that would provide more variation in what we talk about in these early games mm -hmm. rather than, oh, you know, Lee Sin's trying to go over this vision and pull off his gank. Yeah, and I think just because of how long the preseason was and how much high elo solo queue a lot of these teams played. Uh, maybe it's not an NA, but we got NA, EU, China, Korea. Like, Sean mm. is good enough. We're going to see a team incorporated, I yeah. think. She has been, I've learned from my Zoe mistakes here. I'm uh, never going to go out on a limb and be like, no, 100% pick bad yeah. for sure, guys. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, she, did, she did make it into, I believe it was Demacia Cup or Casper Cup. I know I saw her in at least yeah. one of those. So she has. she's going to be played maybe some, yep. but uh, it, it's hard to say exactly how much. Yeah. The, the yeah. last thing I will say is, there's all, although it does put pressure on your team to survive early game, there's also something to be said for uh, essentially putting the other team on a timer, right? There is, like, if you are that Lee Sin, yeah, you're against Shivana, yeah, you have early game priority, and you can pull off these ganks. If but, your ganks don't work, though. But, oh, God, if you done. can't pull off those ganks, then you're screwed. Uh, do you want to touch on any other lanes? Like, top lane Alawi, I think, could be cool. Malzahar mm -hmm. is still super good. Yeah. I think Vladimir will see a lot of pro play because that dude's been below 50% before and still been good in pro and he's like above it with unsealed spellbook now getting your yep. ghost on a low cooldown is really insane yeah I think I think top lane is actually really interesting right now you know I, I did touch a little bit on like I think there's gonna be tanks I mean I think Orn is I won't say 100% presence but I think Orn is damn near 100% presence um, <laughs> Pretty high. Because he, I think he has nerfs on the PB but uh, I don't think he's just be so good yeah. Yeah. his ultimate is so ridiculous yeah. and like and it's hard to push him out of lane he just has too much but um I, I think there's actually a lot of interesting stuff. Like the Klepto stuff mm -hmm. is really cool. I think, you know, the Klepto, Klepto Alawi is really strong. The Klepto Nasus, even Grasp Nasus, these sorts of things are very strong. Uh, there's lots of different options you can do as far as uh, things that are like tanks, things that are more aggressive. Unsealed Spellbook, I've seen some cool stuff. You know, Demacia Cub, I saw um, Unsealed Spellbook Vladimir starting Smite for a power leash on topside for his jungler. Like mm -hmm. he's tanking hits on the blue buff and then he heals Smite's up the damage the back for the heal. And then now his jungler is able to start topside with a powerful leash. And it, it does offer some really cool things. So I, I feel like top lane actually has quite a bit of variety now. Like, you know, uh, you can look at Camille. Camille can go Comet. Camille can go uh, Klepto and things like this as mm -hmm. well. Like, Jax can go press the attack. Jax can maybe even go klepto in some matchups. Like it feels like there's a lot of variety, um, and I am very excited to see, especially to your point, Jat, with all the time these guys have been able to put into um, solo queue, what they're coming out with. Because I I think, especially in a best of one format, a lot of these wins in the early season are going to be mm -hmm. decided based on preparation rather yeah. than just pure team skill. Because if you pick Orn or something like that, and I can just farm off you with Nasus that starts coin and, and klepto, then hey. Maybe maybe yeah. I outsmarted you and we just went off that. Sweet. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the uh, you know one game they use Predator Jungler and they're just going off for some super cheesy game. Predator Warwick, baby, get it in something there. Something like that. And then the next game, completely different, right? So it's yep. it's gonna make preparation for the first couple of weeks for LCS just really exciting, mm -hmm. and it's gonna be 
insane. I hope you guys are like predicting games on the analyst desk because we're gonna predict every single game it's and good. track it throughout the year. So okay, that's gonna I be, hope I don't lose. It's I'm gonna be funny for because those win rates the too. early, yeah, the early prediction rates I think have such volatility. Uh-huh. I feel like you guys just gonna get flamed. Yeah, could be hundred <laughs> percent. Could be zero. That's the plan. I, I, I'm gonna shoot. Actually, I've never done predictions for a whole year before, so I don't even know what like win rate I'm expecting. I'm feel, hoping to get over 75%, but that yeah. might be too ambitious. I feel like mid-60s or something at, like at, as a baseline would be very attainable because when you're looking early at Early in the like, season is going to be so hard, though, man. It is going to be really hard early in the season, but when you look at, okay, if you're confident who like the top four teams are, even if you literally just predicted them to win every single time, yeah. you're already given like a, a very high win rate, right. right? Yeah, like if you just think that... Uh, TSM, I predict them to win every single time and they have a 90% win rate. Well, I was going to say, good. I'm, I'm going to start right now. What do you got for game number one? Team Liquid versus That's TSM. Spoilers, we haven't even done our preview <laughs> okay, 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 for okay. our next thing. I'm just, you know, you know showing my interest <laughs> here. <laughs> the uh, analyst I, I actually have some, I have some pretty serious questions about uh, both of those teams. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my dark horse for the year is CLG. Actually, they're going to be super good. But we'll get into the details. The classic dark at a later time. <laughs> uh, we do want to talk about really quickly since we're going to do the full NALCS preview next week. There's a lot of global league happening, and we have a little bit of time right here. Like, is there some random thing in some far off place that you're super excited about? Uh, well, site zone changes. Uh, we haven't actually gotten into that. So oh, wow. yeah. um, that's okay. something that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. And I know it just got announced. It was on Reddit today or yesterday or something like that. Um, and based the TLDR, if you guys haven't checked it out, you can find the post on Reddit, I'm sure, is that site zones are being removed from the game. Uh, well, it's, it was a post saying that it is targeted for patch 8.2, yeah. might be pushed to a later patch based on development. Or change. And then a lot of people are giving some feedback on forums and Reddit. Yeah, but basically the idea would be site stones would be gone. You get your site stone as an active from your support item. So you get your relic shield and instead of 650 gold or whatever, you need 500 now. So you get your relic shield, you get your spell thieves, you get your coin. When you hit uh, 500 gold earned and upgrade it to the tier two, so the frostfang or whatever, then you have the site stone active on that. Um, And the idea being that it allows you to have a more diverse range of, of options for items, right? Because I don't have to spend my 800 gold on my site stone right away, so now I can rush my mobile boots, or now I can rush my Arden sensor, or now I can rush my locket, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but people have had overwhelmingly negative feedback on this, uh, at least on Reddit, uh, from what I was reading. Uh, people are concerned that this punishes roaming supports because you're not collecting the gold, you won't finish yep. your site zone as fast. Uh, people are concerned that this hurts non-mage supports because in general... Uh, you get more income from like a Morgana or a Zyra or a Brand yes. or someone like that than anyone with Relic Shield you can, complete your can quest ever faster, do. Therefore, get Sidestone faster. Exactly. So, those are some of the major concerns that people have been having. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ironing out because when I've been seeing this in development, I think, ooh, that's a that's a really cool idea. Like, yeah. this is something that theoretically people wouldn't want to do in solo lanes, especially if you make the tier two like slightly less attainable and still allow supports to have some pretty good power in the late game. But it does need tweaking because I do think that's a pretty serious thing. Like if you're suddenly just, now it's optimal to stay in lane, farm up your sight stone and then become a roamer, it's suddenly not as cool to do a roaming Alistair, which is one of the best ways to play support and Mm -hmm. one of the most transferable to pro play. So uh, if they get the correct answers to that, then I'm still really excited about it. Yeah, it touches back on... uh a line that we're constantly looking at that um, uh, always stands out to me. And that is um, they make a lot of choices to try and remove things that people don't want to have to think about or don't want to, you know, have to do feels like kind of tedious work for them. Yeah. But in doing so, you have to be very careful about limiting the options. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Because to me, I love the creativity of being able to do some weird stuff and actually pull it off. Like, they almost completely removed. Um, we used to have so many characters that uh, had these weird AP ratios where you could do a full AP Tristana and like, mm. you know, Deathfire Grasp. There's a lot there. of things that were different, but like there's there's these things that are so counterintuitive that would actually be good. Mm-hmm. And if you succeed mm-hmm. with something like that, the feeling Feels to good. me is is really fun. But you wouldn't really see that in pro play. Yeah. And that would be like a, a, a solo queue thing. thing. Yeah, but... You know, they they have, you know, removed purchasable, purchasable green wards and stuff like yeah. that because 
you know, it was definitely a good strategy to do it and high yellow people would do it, but a lot of, you know, normal players didn't want to go through the hassle. Mm-hmm. And now if we're going yeah. one step further and removing even the sight stone, then like removing more hassle, but also kind of limiting and forcing. Well, well, well here's one thing that I, I think the design team has been kind of doing over the last few years is like, mm-hmm. just get rid of the tedious stuff. The, mm-hmm. the best way to play the game should be the fun way to play the game. Mm-hmm. Like the best way to play the game should not be like I need to get super good at doing math on the fly and I need to purchase 500 gold awards in the first 10 minutes of the game to litter it with vision and like that's kind of fun, but you could also just if that's the best way to play the game, give everyone access to that stuff and then let them make the fun choices. Like, yeah. There's a there's a line there I agree where you do want to not stifle creativity, which I think at first glance this sidestone thing does stifle creativity, but I think the goal of you need vision as support. It is a core part of the role, but I want to remove the tedious factor of having to waste gold on Sightstone. And let people get the more exciting items earlier. Right. And as long as they can hit that without stifling creativity, then it's then it's sweet. And so one of, one of the ideas that I had, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys thought, just as far as, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit, we were talking about it earlier, what would be some ways to solve this? And I mean, first off, for something like a Relic Shield, I actually don't think it's as big of a deal because with the early game cooldown, you can actually proc both your charges and then roam and you will never hit two charges before you come back unless you're gone mm-hmm. for like many minutes. So you're not actually losing income yeah. there. But coin in Spell Thieves. Yeah. Um, for those especially, I, I feel like, so gold need gold generation needs to be relatively even, right? Because if it's not, if you cannot get a sight zone as fast on a melee champion as you can on a mage, you will that would be a big disadvantage for pro play, right? So first off, I think that needs to be evened out. But one thing that would be interesting as far as roaming is a rewarding assists and uh, mm. and kills more. So like put some of the, the towards goal, the support towards the support quests, right? So allow that to be something because. You know, yes, you're getting the sight zone faster, but if I was roaming in the current game and I got a killer, mm-hmm. I'm getting my sight zone faster too, right? It's, yeah. It equates to the same thing. So uh, to not de-incentivize that, it's like if I'm Alistar and I roam mid and I, I kill the mid laner and I get an assist, that gives me X amount of gold, 100 or 150 towards my support towards quest, quest or whatever. Yeah. Because there is a line, I think, where you can have it so you're not punishing roaming and all the gold generation is around equal and then it's, I think, risk versus reward because I yeah. should be punished for that roam if I get nothing, but I should be rewarded if I get something, right? And, I, and that's where I think it's a happy medium. Yeah. And then it becomes more cool because then I actually can get a righteous glory early on this Alistar and now have sick engages and I'm not being punished for my roaming style. So yeah. that's what I would like to see. And that's something that um, maybe I'll, I'll be able to try to talk to some of the designers and yeah. see if, if they had any uh, thoughts about it. I think there's a tuning knob there where you worry about that just becoming way too snowball-y. Like yeah. you're already getting the kill and the assist and the gold. Now you're also getting mm-hmm. the support quest. But I definitely like the concept of yeah. like rewarding what you want to do as a support towards your sidestone. That sounds cool. As far as looking at what, uh, you know, one big thing across the world or yeah. whatever, though, um, two things came to my two. mind. So I'm going to go over to Europe and over to Korea. Okay. I got a China one. So we're going to yeah, cover yeah. I already knew what yours was. Yeah. So now we're covering all bases. So everybody's going to be no. Um, but the two biggest things to me, um, immediately, as soon as Faker lost the world championship, yeah. I was immediately thinking like, holy shit, what is he going to look like when he comes back? Is he going to be pissed next year? Like, I was already looking forward to, like, mm-hmm. Baker coming back and just... He's going Super Saiyan 3. people. He's playing Assassins all the time in mid lane or, um, you know, whatever. But SK Telecom, to me, in the offseason, they actually kind of struggled a bit and kind of mm-hmm. limped through it. Um, I actually, you know, I'm thinking about the reverse of our bet where I would be willing to bet on KT this season. Reversed. Um, uh, let's calm down a little bit, but uh, first place spring split. You want to bet right now? We won't now. make the bets I'm right now. <laughs> I'm currently <laughs> I'm currently serving my time for the previous lost bet. He needs to recover mentally just, and physically from this bet before he can consider making future bets yet. Yeah, we'll finish first. I'll bet yeah. you right now. <laughs> Anyways, the the SK the form of of SKT this season to me still feels like they're trying stuff out because, you know, yeah. they got a lot of these double positions where they're like, oh, mm. crap, you know, we're going to have to have... they wanted Marin, but they couldn't get yeah, him. Yeah, they've got all of these, like, double positions, and then they're like, all right, but Faker and Bang are still our carries, and that feels like all they're really sure of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really interested to see, you know, how he comes out. I actually think the SKT will come back slower at the start. So, you know, that's going to be the Korea thing, of course, but um, for, for Europe, it would be the re-signing of Reckless when I first heard it. I was like, mm. oh my God, you know, all this franchising is coming out and the, and so many things are changing right now, but they re-signed him for three years, I think. Mm-hmm. And that to me was just such an epically long time in esports. 
to re-sign with a team that this is permanent now. Like this yeah. is fan- like Reckless and Fnatic are are trying to create you know a legend here. And Perks also signed in yep, three years. One for so, three years. Yeah. Like, there's definitely been uh, for a few European players like this long-term commitment, and I like it. Like I I would love if European LCS becomes like. Perks' team versus Reckless's team for like years to come, and that's like their level of stability. Uh, yeah, it's really exciting. Fnatic kept a lot of their team, mm-hmm. right? And I think they're one of the orgs that's big enough to potentially compete with some of the allure of NA franchising. And and it's also going to be really interesting to see how G two can then compete with them because they did not keep a lot of their team, right? Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of pieces have have shifted. They lost their star bot lane, obviously joining TSM. Um, they have crushed in Europe for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. right? They've won what four straight champions uh, championships. I believe. Um, you too, yes. Yeah, so it's... Four, two years in a row, they won every split. Exactly. So it's it's now, it's kind of the question, you know, can this, like, these other teams, you know, one of them being Reckless's spearheaded fanatic, you know, take them down? Or or are they an org that has found the right pieces to replace them? How are they going to have, you know, new stars coming up and, and, and kind of allowing them to continue being champions? I definitely think uh, there's going to be a lot of interest in you this year. All right. My China. China. My China hype. There is an AD carry mm-hmm. who is... More hyped than I feel like is I've ever seen. So his name is Jackie Love. He plays for IG. He was 16 years old last year, mm-hmm. but teams have been talking about him and like trying to get him on their team for years. And I heard uh, an unsubstantiated rumor, <laughs> but I'm going to take it as fact about the Chinese boot camp at Worlds, where oh, yeah. all the Chinese teams got together and they they did it for like the first week of group stages. But apparently Jackie Love was so good that Uzi didn't want to scrim against IG anymore because he's like, this isn't worth it to play. Because <laughs> they were just getting like, slammed. Yeah, I'm tilting off of this because Jackie Love is too good. And like, that's just an unreal level of hype, especially for a team in IG who already has Rookie. They have a top laner in The Shy who started smashing towards the end of the year and replacing Duke, who was the former SKT top laner. And they were like a game away from making the world championship. So yeah. there's a chance that IG, with Jackie Love, the most hyped prodigy AD carry I've ever seen uh, does really well in China next year. And and when you're doing that to Uzi, who's considered by many people as, as one of the best the best laner of yeah. all time, and it's right? it's like a BS story. We hear about like scrims, of all course, the time. but it's but it's awesome. Run. I mean, it's exciting to yeah. see, right? That's that's kind of some of the fun when this hype builds in off season. You want to see if it's real, right? Yeah, I love all the crazy Chinese stories too, because then there's stuff coming about. You know, there's this you know epic level of corruption everyone talks about, bribe and all this stuff going on and, and the legality of everything. Uh, there was also a story where, like, multiple teams, you know, IG's trying to, like, forge a document to say that he is old enough to play oh, yeah. early. Like and then there were multiple oh other teams trying to, like, contact, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, government officials and stuff to like, bring people in to be like, this guy is definitely not old enough. Like, we need to get him out of here. He's yeah. like, he's gonna be insane. And They're all. trying to prove that Jackie Love isn't 17 years old, <laughs> so he can't play in the. Yeah, world. so there's like political, you know, games going on and espionage, and <laughs> yeah. I just love all these different levels. Plus, apparently, the LCS is slacking. We don't have any of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need to create some drama. Mike Young is actually 14. There you go. <laughs> on top of it, uh, I heard that there was actually another. Young AD kid that was too young to play. So there was Jackie okay. Love, iBoy was one of the other yeah, ones. There are two of them. And then there was one more who I don't remember what his name was. I, yeah. But I just feel like they have all these like kids that are way too young to play, but they're just insanely good. Because yeah. there's so many players. Um and they're just gonna keep delivering. I mean it's it's it seems the future is bright for for Chinese League of Legends, right? <laughs> like uh, they were very good at this year's Worlds, you know, better than they've been in a long time. And you know, when you do have more of these big stars coming up, we got to see Iboy at Worlds. Yeah, the hype was real around him. He was amazing. Uh, Best interview I, I've be, ever seen in my life. Amazing. <laughs> uh, I would be very excited if if Jackie Love makes it as well. Like imagine if the three Chinese teams are, you know, you have Iboy, Uzi, and Jackie Love, and you have this like this eighty carry triumvirate, right? It's it's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, move on to Twitter questions. Mm-hmm. Sweet. I got one from Justin Han, Kilo Ham. What do you think about the design team's decision to switch between small patches and large patches and their future effect on competitive play and meta? Well, it does make things more consistent. It may leave problems on a standby for the sake of being pushed back to a larger patch. And this is referring to what Meddler has posted on the boards about kind of a test that the design team is going to start to do. So even numbered patches like patch 8.2 mm-hmm. will be larger and then patch 8.3 will be very small. 
and then every even-numbered patch, which is every four weeks, would be the larger change. So it's about trying to create a slightly more stable game, but still having that window to tweak stuff that's really out of line. So for me, one of the reasons I, I think this immediately sounds good, you know, not thinking from player perspective or pro perspective, but thinking from designer perspective, mm -hmm. you know, having having worked on playtests and that sort of stuff, yeah. uh, I immediately think, great, you have two more weeks to test a big change, yep. right? That's one of the immediate things is that then I hope you can more consistently get those bigger changes right because it can be very hectic when there's a lot of work going on. There's always uh, tons of new champions in the pipeline. There's tons of new, you know, uh, updates and, and changes and then there's systemic changes and there's so many things. It can be hard to have enough games played on a significant change um, to really have high confidence. So this doubles your time for those big big changes and I think that should uh, up the, the consistency of, of making them good ones. Yeah, one of the things I've been curious about for a while is do we have enough breathing room for counters to develop? Yeah. Um, a lot of games um, that I've played have extremely long periods between patches and you know that can be frustrating because whatever's broken Stays and is broken actually forever. broken will remain broken for a long time. But it also has led to some really interesting innovations where if something is broken, and the playstyle around that, everyone just kind of auto defaults to picking stuff into that. Uh, there are a lot of cases where you just haven't pushed yourself to the edge or thought about it in X way where there's a counter in the game mm -hmm. that's actually very good against this strategy. You just didn't know it and yet. So, yeah, exactly. And sometimes two, two weeks is very short. So a lot of times everyone just jumps on what's strong and doesn't even try and come up with uh, you know what might not even be there yeah, as yeah. a really strong counter, but this to me seems like it gives a bit more breathing room for those to develop. But as you said, four weeks might just be, and there probably will be cases where, okay, we want to test it and see if this broken thing is actually broken and we're going to wait a bit longer. Yeah. And you know, it turns out nobody can actually come up with a counter or whatever in that four weeks still, and you have to deal with it longer. But I do like the option of yeah. other things developing there that without us pushing it. At first glance, I like it. I think even for pro play, it gives more reward as well for learning something because mm -hmm. it's less likely to be immediately changed in a big way. So you'll be able to transfer more of your skills uh, for longer. And as well, they only have normally like a couple of days to actually make the changes in a two-week yep. cycle. So if they have more of a four-week cycle with the middle ground, it's going to be really good for hopefully tuning. Next question uh, as well. This is from Dan only. We touched on this a little bit. Uh, we're starting to see longer-term contracts for star players. Guys are getting locked down for two to three years. It's a very long time in esports. And as the league evolves, are we going to see more increased career longevity? Will some of these guys play into their 30s? Yes. Yes. Like, we have talked about this a fair bit on the show before. We're already seeing players get into their mid, maybe even late 20s. Double's been playing since he's 19. He's 25 now. He's going to play until he's 30. Yeah. Right? Like, with he said in his letter contracts. he's going to play until they kick him out or he <laughs> yeah. dies or, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. He's like... <laughs> I know players have had the goal. Like, I talked to Mad Life four years ago. He said he wanted to play until he's 30. Uh, he says he's taking the split off as well because he's kind of had a hard time finding the thing. But what used to hold players back, I feel like, was the ability to spend time on the game, yeah. not necessarily your reflexes diminishing. So, yeah, I think the experience is going to pay off in a big way. The brands that they develop over years is also going to incentivize organizations to keep them around uh, and give them more opportunity. And I think as as it's more and more stable, you're more and more comfortable feeling like, hey, I could be a pro gamer for a long time, right? You know, one of the biggest reasons that I, I stopped doing pro gaming was I wasn't sure that it was a secure future at all for me. I wasn't sure that I would mm -hmm. be able to have a house someday or continue to afford an apartment or whatever. You know, it's, it's hard if you don't know that it's still going to be there or in what form it's still going to be there. I think people have confidence yeah. that in three years, that in five years or whatever, uh, it's still going to be there. It's still going to be a big thing. And that's why they're more comfortable, I think, signing long-term contracts. So mm -hmm. um, it's pretty interesting and, and also another thing which is kind of tangential but connected is um i've been hearing more talk about people uh you know trying to have it so that the the training house is a training house and you don't live there mm -hmm. and i think that that move also makes it more realistic to do it long term because if you yeah. want to have a serious relationship if you want to get married if you want to have kids well guess what you can't live in a pro gaming house mm -hmm. with your wife and your really? kids that would be freaking it'd be terrible. a big house it would be awful it would be so bad so about all the kids could play together <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you just have them all team. running up behind their streams and pulling on their shirt. Daddy, double lift. <laughs> yeah, Team Liquid Junior or something yeah, instead yeah. of like double lift junior and special junior. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, the like the little kid leagues now. Then there would be like um, it would be like youth <laughs> baseball or something, and the pro player children. Double lift is like angry the, parents come to the playground and be like smashing everybody. Yeah. Uh. 
That would be hilarious. Yeah. Um, to the specifics, though, of actually um, signing these three-year contracts, why it was so surprising to me is because there's been so much fluctuation. Um, and the actual specific of signing a long contract or signing a short, con uh, short contract is a lot of, you know, any other risk that you're taking. Like, it's like betting on a stock or I guess the more mm -hmm. apt example right now would be a cryptocurrency. Do you think... Right now, there's a big boom, and you can sign for a long contract right now with franchise and everything at a yeah. at an increased value. And you think it's going right. to go back down soon, or do you think that you, as a player, your value is going to rise? So you want to shine a short one. So those are specific to me yeah. to the player and what you're thinking about the trajectory of where the industry is going and where your personal brand is going. Yeah. Um, to influence those those decisions, and yeah. that is really on a case by case basis. It's a bet made by both sides. Yeah. Right. It's a bet by the team wanting the consistency of the player, thinking they'll be successful in the player, thinking that they're not going to outgrow their value in the next few years. I got some the stat that blew my mind in a meeting the other day, and I'm going to spoil it right now. How many NALCS? So we had 50 NALCS starters last year. How many players are starting for the same team as the summer split of 2016? No, it's going to be incredibly low. Yeah. It's going to be like 15. 15 players? Yeah. Yes. Of 50. There were 50. I think even. I think single digits, honestly. Cope, nine. Okay. Oh! Nine well, I I out of 50. <laughs> you gave a bigger variance. Yeah, 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 I was yeah, six yeah. away. So I was pretty close. So we, we both win. We both win. No, no, no he won. No. He is single digits. He's he single digits. That's yeah. cheating. He could have predicted one. I would have been closer. Oh, you did you? Like, Give me this example. Where the goddamn okay, made okay, out there? Okay, okay, yeah. okay, you can have this. Uh, yeah, obviously there's only thirty though, starters possible because we had four new organizations, but uh, that's crazy, right? Because yeah. especially with all these teams doing two and three year contracts, you imagine like next year it's got to be higher. Like it's got to yeah. be twenty five, thirty. Just the turnover with franchising as well as all the multi year deals was huge this year, mm -hmm. uh, and it's got to calm down in the future. can also now. sell contracts, though, right? Sure. Even though you have a three-year contract, doesn't have to be served out with the same team if someone's willing to buy it. And, you know, the other thing is always, you know, if you're talking about double lift and is he going to play for a long time, if you're getting older, you probably want more stability, right? There's yeah. always, it's the same thing kind of in the caster world. Do you want to be a contractor and potentially if you maximize everything, maybe make more money? Or do you want to have, you know, maybe have a salary, but you're locked in, you know what you're going to make. And if you want stability, that can be worth it for some people to have that trade-off. Yeah. Final question of the episode. Uh, Mike R. Heart Beast or Mike underscore CS. With the new runes, we saw games in solo queue being shorter due to most damage dealers not having resistances. At least we saw that early on. Uh, do you think the game in the LCS will be shorter too? Hmm. Shorter. I, I say no. I say the game's not going to be shorter with the way people are currently playing, uh, trying to scale and hit power spikes with gold generation items. I think it's, it's snowball-y like laning phase might end earlier, but I think the actual game will be about the same. It's interesting to me because I think for a different reason that the start of the season at least will be shorter games because of best of one switches and how much Surprises. preparation is going to you know go specifically into a single strategy and because there's so much as you're talking about surprises uh there's so much unknown right now that i feel like people are going to be crafting for specific victories mm -hmm. and some of them are going to work and they're yeah. going to work really well uh, so I think that because of that reason, we could see a lot, uh, you know, of shorter games. Like we're talking about, oh, they're they're crafting this lane matchup, and they're gonna have a, a predator jungler, and they're not gonna expect X because mm -hmm. uh, you know people have been. And then your Camille snowballs out of control, ends the game or whatever. And I I tend to agree that at the start I could see some pretty short games. I do think that over time it'll probably mm -hmm. even out as as people learn more of the strategies and have a better understanding of of the meta and how to play kind of more safe comps. Because in pro play in general, people take less risks. That's yeah. just the way it is. The games mean more than in solo queue so people are less willing to take those you know 50 50 or, or 40 60 fights uh than they are in solo queue all right well thank you guys very much for the twitter questions that is it for the dive this week i commend God. kobe you did a great job i kobe. feel like the outfit has gotten lower as the episode has. you're showing a lot of very revealing. chest there get me out of here now <laughs> yeah. uh, we're done next week we're going to be talking about north american lcs we'll do power rankings for all 10 teams it's going to be an awesome episode Good to be back. Season two of the dive. Hashtag the dive lol. Tweet us, Azale, Kobe, Gat. We're gonna be more active on Instagram as well. Stories, promos of the dive and stuff. There you I go. still have yet to do a story. I've never I done a story, story either. I did a story about this. I know, I'm Kobe proud of you. Would not let me show his outfit because he needed the reveal on his own social. Hey, he needs to get something out of it. That. That's that. only fair. I'll give that. only That's fair. totally worth it. Retweet it's good the to be shit back out of that. It's worth it. Get me out of here now. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>